It's something that people have debated forever. I've heard it for my whole real estate career. Is it better to keep renting or buy a property to live in? It's a great question. Something that people thinking about getting into the real estate market all across the country may be asking, especially with the price increases we've seen over the past year. Should you buy or should you rent? Well, an economist in Toronto wondered the same thing, so he conducted a study, and you might be surprised at what he came up with. I'm Desmond Brown, and welcome to Sold in the Six. Will Dunning is an economist and has been analyzing and forecasting the housing market across the country for about 40 years. Will, welcome to Sold in the Six. Glad to be here, Desmond. Nice to see you again after all these years. Wow, it's been a long time. I think the last time I interviewed you, Will, I was working for the National Post, and that's like, woo, back around the uh, year 2000. I guess we're both veterans, yeah. Yeah, we are. Well, I've I've left journalism, and I'm now I'm... I'm in real estate, and now I'm, I guess I'm back in journalism because I'm doing my podcast. So it's so great to have you on the show today. So um, this study that you did, and I just love how you started it. I read it, and I love how you started it when you said, I look back to when I was 28 years old back in 1983, and I was thinking about buying a house. And all the things that you considered back then, whether you know, you were going to rent or own and all of the things that you did consider to come to that conclusion. So tell us about that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to say uh, we, we know it's very stressful to be a buyer now, uh, but there are only degrees of stress. Um, you know, through my entire lifetime, buying a home has always been a stressful event because it's such as you know, I, I talk about in my report, it's such high stakes in such a complicated environment where you can't know everything that you need to know. You can only know enough to know what you don't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you have to make decisions. So uh, when I made my first decision, uh, whatever it was, 38 years ago to buy a home, um, I didn't even have access to good calculation capabilities. You know, it's it a lot of intuition. Um, I think what's what has improved is a lot of the people who want to buy are in a position they're capable of making the cal- kinds of calculations that I should have made then but couldn't because I didn't have the technology. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they've got such greater access to information about, uh, about the market. And um, what they don't know is what's going to happen in their future in a lot of respects. And that's one of the great challenges that's been constant over time. You know, um, what are my housing needs going to be in the future? Mm-hmm. What's my economic situation going to be in the future? What's my family situation going to be in the future? We have, you know, we have opinions about these, but these are all things that are going to affect the outcomes as that we experience over the time we live in a in a in a rental or a home ownership dwelling. Yeah, well, in the study, you do admit that it's harder today to buy than it was back, you know, thirty eight years ago. However, when you did buy, you bought a property that you lived in the upper level. And you rented out the main level to a family. Yeah, you know, I, I think that option was even more available back then than it is now. Uh, there certainly are a lot of properties where you can do something like that by by renting out the basement, or you know, you can buy a, a dwelling and live in the basement and rent out the upstairs. So, um, it's a little harder now to get recognition in the financial system that that's what you're doing and that it makes sense. So you know, that's a change not for the better in the financial system. Mm. Um, about how to access the options that are going to make your your decision possibilities greater. 
Yeah, it's harder to access those possibilities now. It is, and I, I love. I also love how you quizzed people at the dog park about if they were thinking of buying. What were they thinking about, and what considerations they made. Well, it's, I find it really cool that these, you know, generally late twenties, early thirties people are are interested to talk to me about their personal situations, and and to be really forthcoming about what they've experienced. It's it's a really wide set of experiences that people go through, but I th- I think that the common factor is that you know everybody I've ever talked to about buying a home worked at it really hard. Yeah, and as a, as a result of working hard, you usually make a good decision. Yeah, you do in the end, don't you? So let's get into some of those major careful considerations: uh, budgeting and affordability, comparing the cost of owning versus renting. And then you also looked at housing as an investment. So that is, do I rent and invest the money that I would have had put into a, in, into a home or real estate and put it in another investment like a stock market, et cetera? Yeah. Well, those are all calculations that today anybody can make if you know, if you know what the formulas are and if you can go into Excel and create the formulas. So and if you're in a position where you've got income and resources to afford to buy a house, you probably have the skill set and the access to be able to make those calculations yourself. So, you know, I would say to anybody, uh, go into my report, look at, I think it's table one, I think it's on page six, and create that same table in your own situation. So what does that table do? It looks at the price of buying a home, calculates how much it's going to cost to carry it per month based on on your mortgage payment, but, you know, other categories of cost. Mm-hmm. And, and then compare that side by side to renting the same dwelling. So you, you, you get the first bottom line in the calculation. What's the total cost of owning? What's the total cost of renting? And in almost all situations, the total cost of owning is greater than the total cost of, of renting. However, however, and this, is, this, is, <laughs> this has been a really interesting discussion uh, that I put out in my report. And it's, uh, it's been really fascinating to me to see how people react to this part of the discussion. Mortgage payments got two parts. There's the interest part and the principal part. The interest part is, it's definitely a cost, you know, uh, you're giving it to somebody else. The principal part, you, you have to shell it out, but who are you giving it to? Really, you're giving it to yourself, you know, in a financial accounting context, you're giving that payment to yourself. You're moving it from one bucket of money to another bucket of money. You're moving it from your, your savings account into your mortgage equity account. So my argument is, that part of the mortgage payment is not a cost. It's a form of saving. And I call it forced saving because you have to do it contractually. It's not something you volunteer to do. And uh, you have to be able to make the full payment. But you also are aware that part of that full payment is making me better off. So some people can make a calculation. What's the net cost if I ignore the forced saving? What's, you know, all those monthly costs plus my interest cost? Add them up. How does that compare to rent? And this, I think, is the important finding that the net cost of ownership is lower than the cost of renting that same dwelling in almost every situation. You know, I looked at uh, 278 different housing cases, so it's seven different types of dwellings across uh, many of the major yeah, cities. Six, six provinces. Six provinces, okay. So not all of the provinces are included. You know, my bottom line number is not a, a you know a, a totally accurate estimate for all of Canada, mm-hmm. but I think it's highly demonstrative that there's something going on here that across the country, financially, 
ownership is better than renting in a lot of situations. And again, I would encourage people to make those calculations in your own situation. See what you come up with. You know, um, I uh, personally, I'm very interested to know what people out there come up with when they yeah. make those calculations for themselves. I'd, I'd love to see the results of that. Yeah. So what you came up with, though, so you, like, like you had mentioned, 278 cases. And in 253 of those cases, the net cost of owning had its advantages over renting. Now, you also said that homeowners will pay an average of $700 more per month than a renter. However, it, the projection was that rents will rise at 4.6% and property values will rise at 11.6%. And this was over what time period? No, that's, that's actually when you look backwards, what's happened over the past... Uh, oh, okay. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a previous analysis period that starts at the end of 2014 and goes up to the spring of this year. So those are the increases over that period. I see. So I did that calculation, and that in itself is an interesting finding. Mm -hmm. It shows that, uh, you know, even though house prices have risen a lot and risen much more rapidly than renting, it's actually gotten even better in favor of home ownership over that period because interest rates have fallen so much. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, I know some people will find this very hard to accept, but actually it's more affordable now to buy a home on this basis than it's been over the past seven years. That's astounding when you take a look at how high the prices are, not just here in Toronto, but right across the country. But there's a very practical consequence that tests that in a way, which is that at the period when that net benefit of ownership was at its greatest, mm -hmm. that's the period when we had the all-time strongest housing sales in Canada. So, you know, housing sales were not strong because people went crazy. I believe that housing sales were so strong because people were able to look at the situation and calculate, this is a really good time for me to buy. Mm -hmm. Because I, in this analysis, it's so advantageous for me in this environment to buy rather than to rent. And that's why people were flooded into the market. Oh, so that's really interesting. On top of COVID. Yeah, that's very interesting. Okay, so you're listening to this podcast and you're renting, and you thought of renting forever, but because Will Dunning was here today, he's convinced you to buy a home. Well, before you go out and buy, make sure you get pre-qualified and check out Jason Georgopoulos of Dominion Lending. Jason will get you the best rates and terms available. You can get in touch with Jason at jasong at dominionlending.ca. So the other thing is, is that you've done the study based on people coming in with 20% down, generally speaking, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you can do a lot of scenarios. Um, I chose 20% because uh, in some other research I've done elsewhere, I looked at um, the financials for first-time buyers, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and in that analysis, I found that the one half of first-time buyers make a down payment of 20% of or more, and one half make less than 20%. Hmm. And also, on average, first-time buyers make down payments in the low 20%, so you know, 21%, 22%. And that's been fairly stable over time. 
That's interesting because we hear a lot about CMHC and insured mortgages, but I mean, luckily I deal with a lot of people who have 20% down, which right. translates into what we call the conventional mortgage. So for you out there listening, anything uh, less than 20% down needs insurance either through CMHC or uh, what's the other one? Uh, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is private yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, like I said, I've been lucky that most of the people that I deal with, you know, they're, they, they have the savings. They've had help from, from parents or from family, and they've been able to get in um, with a substantial down payment. Okay. I'm going to say something, then I might remember to lead this into a segue. Okay. okay. So what I want to say is the mortgage insurance system we have now is very strongly encouraging for people to not get mortgage insurance, okay? Because of the cost of it, you know, the premiums you have to pay that gets added to your mortgage. And also because if you get an insured mortgage, you can only get 25-year amortization. Hmm. If you get an uninsured mortgage, you can get 30-year amortization. And that reduces your monthly payment an awful lot and reduces the amount of forced savings you need to do every month. So, you know, the burden of making a total mortgage payment is a lot lower with 30-year AM than with 25-year AM. Yeah, and you mentioned that in the study too. So go on about that as as well as the 20% down that you talked about. Well, so the, the segue is that I I think it would be a really sensible policy choice for insured mortgages to allow 30-year amortization, which they did up until 2012. I mean, people will still be paying off their mortgages very rapidly, building housing equity very rapidly with 30-year amortization. But it would just make the cash flow of, of your mortgage payment so much easier and more bearable for people, frankly, who who's, for whom the purchase is in their best interest. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the greatest barrier, well, there are two great barriers in the housing market. The forced saving you need to do each month. And, you know, can we discuss the possibility of reducing that burden? You know, I'm not going to really strongly advocate for an opinion on that, but I do believe it's a discussion we need to be having for the good of the country, for the good of young people in Canada who believe they want to be homeowners but are finding it very difficult because of the mortgage regulations. Hmm. The, the second issue, of course, is getting a 20% down payment. Yes. At today's prices, it's quite a steep hurdle. Uh, another part of that old research I've done looked at sources of down payments. The primary source of down payments is not the bank of mom and dad. Okay, contrary. It's the bank of me. It's the bank of me. It's the money I saved myself with my partner. And, uh, you know, that's more than half of total down payments comes from the bank of me for first-time buyers in Canada. That's very interesting because all we hear about is the bank of mom and dad. Well, you know, it's more common in certain social groups. You know, in your social group, mm-hmm. it, you're coming into contact with more people who are in a position to do that. But, you know, across the entire population, across the entire country, um, there are a lot more people who are doing it on their own. Great. So let's take a look at this last year then when we've seen the prices go crazy and we've also seen huge activity. So do you think that not being able to spend uh, had, a, had a factor on this, not being able to go on vacations, uh, inclusive vacations, uh, restaurants, uh, it has added to people's savings in their pockets? Has it really translated to that? I think that that's marginal. I think it's more important that people look at what do I need and what can I handle? Mm-hmm. So what do I need has changed an awful lot. 
And I think it will continue to evolve quite a lot over the next year or so, because, you know, people are still sorting out what's going to be my working arrangement mm -hmm. in the future. It's It's been, you know, for a lot of us work at home for um, over a year now. Uh, and I think a lot of people would like to make that permanent. Employers may be pushing back on it. So, you know, there's a lot of negotiating and a lot of decision making to happen that people will take into account when that's settled to make different housing decisions than they've made in the past. I think we're very likely to see a lot of interest in moving as, you know, there's an evolution of working arrangements in Canada during the coming months and, and probably well into a year from now. Okay, so getting back to the study. So you talked about the fixed mortgage rates um, and that fixed mortgage rate helped the cost of home ownership rise slower than the cost of rent. It did. It did. Yeah. I know that's really shocking. Yeah. But again, if you know if you're in a position to do this, um, there's enough information available. A lot of people can make those calculations for themselves mm -hmm. and test this. But yeah. Well, you also projected too that okay, you take a, like uh, you take a look at five five years down the road. The, the key to all of this, also, what you said in the report was that you don't want to be moving. Because there's, it costs too much to move every year with uh, land transfer taxes, with uh, the, the cost of um, yeah, com commissions for real estate and so on. But you said that the total ownership costs, including maintenance and taxes, mortgage interest, uh, etc., they do exceed the rental. But the net cost, of course, of ownership will be less, even if a mortgage is renewed at like three and a half, three point six percent. Yeah, I mean, this this gets us into a whole other area of discussion. The um, you know, we have this thing called the mortgage stress test. That, mm -hmm. um, if if you want to get a mortgage now from a either an insured mortgage or a mortgage that's regulated by the federal government, you have to go through the stress test and prove that you could make a payment at five point two five percent. Okay, yeah. uh, typical rate today two and a quarter percent maybe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't think it's a very realistic expectation that we should be testing people based on an interest rate that, you know, can I see a five and a quarter percent interest rate happening in the next five years? Not just the posted rate, but the contracted rate that people are actually, you know, agreeing to. I don't know anybody who thinks that's a realistic scenario. For me, a worst case scenario is interest rates go back to the highest level they've been at in the past decade. Or the, say the past yeah. five to seven years, and that interest rate is three point seven five percent. That should be the, the interest rate we use to test people. Mm -hmm. Using a rate higher than that, the regulators are not worrying about financial stability or you know protecting the integrity of borrowers and lenders. They are deliberately suppressing the housing market and preventing people from making choices that they know they, they can make safely in their own situations. But these regulations prevent them from making choices that are in their best interests. And it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have been affected by these regulations uh, over the past 13 years. We've had incremental tightening of these regulations. You know, they tighten the regulation, the market doesn't slow down enough. So a few years later, they tighten it again. The regulations aren't working because they're not dealing with the fundamental supply, which is we don't have enough housing in Canada. In fact, oh, there's, a, there's, yep. there's a contrary problem here, that if you make it harder for people to buy homes, you're also making it harder for builders to construct new homes. So those regulations, stretching it over 13 years, have increasingly 
become a part of the problem we're experiencing in Canada of not having enough housing to meet our needs. Yeah, and we, we did a podcast on um, all of these political promises in the last federal election yeah. and just how realistic they were. And I guess what we're seeing is that it's mostly window dressing. It's just a matter of, it was just, they're out there just to get votes and nothing realistic. Because as you said, it all comes down to supply in the end. Well, I mean, there were little bits in there. I, you know, one party suggested 30-year amortization for insured mortgages. Yes, 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 yes. Let's do that right away. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. nobody talked at that level of what's the interest rate we should be using in stress tests. And I think that's that's a you know really fundamental factor that we need to get to grips with. Because I think the way we're headed is you know it's proven that it's not solving the problems in the housing market. Yeah, and you even mentioned that in your report that the government policies are actually getting in the way, and they've done more harm to Canadians than benefited. Well, that's the last four pages of the report, yeah. and I wish everybody could read the last four pages of my report, just so they can get involved, seeing one point of view in that discussion. An awful lot of the discussion accepts the government line, that it's to preserve the integrity of the financial system. No, no, they gave that up a long time ago. They're not doing that anymore. They're preventing people from doing what's in their best interest. That's the essence of government mortgage policy at this point in time. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to have you back and we'll talk about that. <laughs> I, you know, I get a little bit excited when I talk about that. And if, if you know, it seemed a little bit exuberant when I said that, I guess that's because I really believe it. Well, good. I like that excitement. Um, back to the study again, where, okay, let's take a look. We, you, you studied 278 cases. You had the 253 cases where it came out that the net cost of owning had its advantages over renting. Let's talk about the uh, the ones where it didn't work out that way. So those, I guess it worked out to about 9% in that study where it was more advantageous to rent. Actually, 25 cases in that study. Right. Well, first of all, I think it's a small number. But secondly, it's it's not necessarily where you think it is. It's not necessarily just Toronto and Vancouver where you'd expect it to be the problem. It's actually scattered pretty randomly across the country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's 25 idiosyncratic situations produce that result. Yeah, okay. You know, even in Toronto and Vancouver, there's still some advantage in home ownership if you can get over those nasty hurdles of the down payment and the total payment. Mm-hmm. Okay, but let's talk about those 25 cases it came out that it was more advantageous to rent in the luxury home section. What 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 type of uh, uh, monthly rent are we talking about here? Well, you know, when you get into the fours and fives and, and beyond thousand for mm-hmm. rent. Yeah. And, you know, close to a million in the price. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, and proportionally, any base way you want to look at it, you know, rent relative to house price, rent per square foot. The rents on, on proportional terms are less in the luxury part of the market. Mm-hmm. So it's more affordable to rent in the luxury part of the market in these calculations in, in many, in many cases. Yeah. Oh, well, so that was, yeah. So like you said, it didn't, it didn't lie in, let's say the first time buyer stage or even the second time buyer when you start looking at it. No, exactly. Yeah, there were people, yeah. there were people mm-hmm. looking to move up and so on. Okay. Um, I guess we, we, we look at this and I'm still there. They're sure there are still going to be people out there saying, you know what, I don't really buy this, you know, and I'm sure, you know, you've, you've, you've thought that was going to happen too when you come up with a study like this, that how, 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 and I know I'm going back, I know you've explained yourself through all of this, but 
let's just uh, summarize it a little bit for me here. Well, you know, I've, I've done these calculations several times over the years. Um, I've written different reports which, you know, express the ideas in different ways. But I've, I've, I've seen consistently over time the same kind of result, you know, not not at the exact same result because there's evolution over time. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not surprised to find a similar result. What surprised me was that the most recent numbers show the greatest affordability in the history of the data happening in a period of very rapidly rising house prices. Yeah. Again, yeah. that's because of interest rates having fallen so far. Mm-hmm. So interest rates fall, they create what I call space in which prices can rise and still be affordable. So lower rates create a lot of space. Housing prices rose to fill a lot of, but not all of that space. So there's something unfortunate in there because there's, you know, there's no iron law in economics that says that house prices needed to rise or must rise to fill that space. Prices rose because there's not enough housing supply in Canada. So if we had more housing supply in Canada, the price growth we've seen over the past year would have been much less. Mm-hmm. Plus, we would have had more sales because there would have been more properties available for people to buy. That's right. I have a list of people who want to buy, and it would be nice if we had the supply for them. Yeah. Okay. So, there we go. Um, somebody's out there thinking of whether they're going to rent or buy. You've heard Will Dunning. He says it's, you know, based on his study, it's more beneficial to, to buy in the long run. And again, keeping in mind that real estate is a long game. You know, you know, five, ten year investment, you're you're much better off. I'm gonna add one thing. Go add to my it, report. Go to my report. Yes. It's on my website, which is wdunning.com. There's a page called Recent Reports, and it's the first item on the recent report page. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to read the whole report, go to table one on page six. Create that same table in your own situation. See what you come up with. There you go. So it is wdunning, D-U-N-N-I-N-G dot com. So check out that report. And if you're on the fence wondering, maybe this will help you. Will, thank you so much for joining us today on Sold in the Six. It was great to see you again. I've had a great time. Nice to talk to you. And that's our latest episode of Sold in the Six. And I'd like to thank my producers, Podcasts That Pop. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Sold in the Six and you'll start receiving new episodes automatically. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is DezInTheSix. That's six spelt with the number six, I-X. You know, the cool way. And I also have a website. Check that out. It's InTheSixRealEstate.com. If you have a story idea or just want to get in touch with me, feel free to email me at des at desmondbrown.ca. I'm Desmond Brown. Until next time. <laughs>